told Lewis's dad that the one thing that is etched in my mind is the smile on Edith's face when she'd come to church. It was just a memorable thing to see her smile, which was almost all the time she was in church. So I was glad to be a part of her life. Well, I hope you had a nice Thanksgiving. A lot of our people are traveling. They're still not back yet. Hopefully they will be back safe and sound. Be praying for them as they come back to their homes and uh, have a good time, I hope, with their family and friends. We have a lot of people that are down with the flu. Um, It is just really some of them are in the hospital with double pneumonia. Um, It's a terrible flu season this year, so you need to be careful. Wash your hands when you leave the church. Enter the Most Holy, Part 5. I never thought I'd ever have a Part 5 series, but I couldn't get it all into one. And the Lord has blessed. We have had some non-Adventists who have visited here that have gone away and said, I need to get ready for heaven. And so they have been thrilled with the series. Some of you have been wanting the CDs to be able to hand out when the series is over. And uh, the guys will have that made available to you. One of the things that was a blessing in my childhood was about September time, just before school would start, we would always meet as a family. And I we came from a large family. And my grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles and all the cousins. And we'd meet at the city park for one last picnic. And this was always the fun time because we were allowed as kids to go off while they're preparing the meal to go to the playground and have the time of our lives. I mean, it was so much fun. And the one place that we went to the most was to the merry-go-round that looked something like this. That was a fun merry-go-round. We would pile on and we would hang on for dear life and we would ask the older cousins to push as fast as they could go. We knew that if you pushed real fast and as you're going around and they would really make it go fast, that after a while you couldn't hold on any longer and you'd start flying off. It's a wonder we didn't break an arm and a leg. And then we would see who would be the king or the queen, who would be the last one to remain on the merry-go-round. And I tell you, those big ones would make that thing go so fast, and that centrifugal force would just fling bodies all over the place. I could never figure out why when I'd get on the outside edge where those two bars were, I would hold on with both hands why I couldn't stay on. And there was always someone who was a little older who always was the last one remaining, and they would be the winners. 
How come I couldn't be a winner? So I stood back one time and I watched. I didn't get on this time. And I noticed something, and it even works for adults as well too, that if you get to the center of the merry-go-round, you could actually stand there and hold your hands up in the air and not hold on to anything. You were safe. Whereas if you were on the outer edge and going around so fast, there's no way that you could hold on. And so the winner would be in the center. Remember what we looked at on that text last week in John 15, verse 4? Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Remember we talked about that abiding means to cling to so tight that you're actually absorbed into the thing that you're clinging to? To cling on so tight to Jesus that you are in Jesus? Do you know what? When you are in the center of Jesus, you are safe. Otherwise, if you try to cling on and try to hold on to your life and try to be as good as you can be in your Christian life and to keep the commandments by your own power, pretty soon the devil will spin you around so much you can't hold on anymore and you lose the battle. The only winners are those who are in Jesus. We have to be in Jesus. There's no other way. Today we're going to take a peek inside. Inside the most holy place. Which is where Jesus, our high priest, is ministering and has been since 1844. He is inside the most holy place and we need to understand what's taking place in that compartment. Many other denominations are still looking to Jesus in the holy place, thinking all they have to do is confess their sins and that everything is going to be all right. But Jesus is no longer in the holy place. The light has left and is in the most holy place. And the devil, he tries to light a match and say, here's the light you need to follow, and there's a little light, and leads them off into strange doctrines and teachings that are not in the Bible. But in the most holy place where the presence of Jesus is, if we are abiding in Jesus, we enter into that most holy place and into his ministry. How do I know what's going on? The best example that we could have that's taking place in the sanctuary, during the judgment time, is found in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 1. Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 1. verse starts out and says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. Let's stop there for a moment. We've got to kind of pick this apart a little bit so that we can understand. Does anyone know the significance of the name Joshua? It is the Hebrew name for Jesus. 
So here we see Jesus standing in the most holy place. Jesus, according to Hebrews, is our high priest. And he's standing in the most holy place. And our strength is to stand in the center of Jesus. Any place else is trying to hold and trying to hold on to Jesus by our own strength, we're just going to be tossed out. But here we're standing with Jesus. Only the high, only the high priest could enter the most holy place of the sanctuary on the day of the atonement or the judgment day. This gives us a clue what happens in the judgment. In the most holy place of the sanctuary, Jesus, our high priest, is standing in front of some type of furniture. What is it? It's called the Ark of the Covenant. What's inside the Ark? The law. God's law. It is extremely important to realize that the law is a part of the judgment. We are judged by the law. The one question we already looked at is, how closely are you and I observing the law of God? Now, if we do it on our own power, we fail. We're not saved by the law. We're saved by Jesus Christ. But the law reveals the character of Jesus. And when I am in Jesus, I need to be in harmony with His character or I'll be flung out. And to be in harmony with the character means the importance of the law within my own life as well too. So he's standing before the Ark of the Covenant that contains the law. And remember that we're abiding in Christ. We're focusing our attention upon Him so that we, and we're holding on to Him so tightly that we're absorbed into Him. Let's continue on. Zechariah 3 verse 1 again. And Satan is standing at his right hand to oppose him. Satan is right there next to our high priest, which is Jesus at the judgment. If I am in Jesus and he's opposing Jesus, he's also opposing me. Does that make sense? Because what is he saying to Jesus? At some point in that sanctuary, my name is going to come up in the judgment day and I'm either in Jesus or I'm not in Jesus. But if I'm in Jesus, the devil is going to say, oh, here is Pastor Atterbury. And Satan's going to say, let me tell you about him. He's not worth coming in. He's a sinner. All of us are sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God. And he says he's a sinner and he'll point out sins. And you know what? He's right. He's right. Oh, he may throw in some things that are made up that's not true, but... He'll be right almost all the time. And the devil is there and he's pointing these things out. And as he's opposing Jesus, he's opposing me because he doesn't want me to have eternal life. Satan doesn't want me in heaven. Now let's look at this scene a little more. 
Zechariah 3 and verse 3. Now Joshua, that's a Hebrew name for who? Jesus, okay. Jesus was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. What did Jesus have on? Filthy garments. Filthy garments, okay. And so here he's standing in the judgment scene. And he has the filthy garments that are upon him. What does the filthy garments represent? Our sins. Not his, because he hasn't sinned. He's perfect. He kept the law. The devil says no one can, humanly possible, no one could ever keep the law. Jesus came down in the form of a human. He did not use his divine power to keep the law. He used the power as a human being, and he kept the law perfectly, and he never sinned. Jesus is there with our sins. Keep in mind that the yearly day of atonement was also known as the cleansing of the sanctuary. So somehow, some way, the sanctuary needs to be cleansed of our sins, not the sins of Jesus. Look at Isaiah 60, 64, verse 6. All our righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. We all die. And our iniquities, like the wind... By the way, when you're on that merry-go-round going around and around and around, it's not only centrifugal force that's pulling you off, but you got the wind blowing your hair and everything. Like the wind, it has taken us away. Our righteousness. Do you know what righteousness is? Right doing. Righteousness is what we do right. It's the good things that we do. And in the sight of God, the good things that we sit there and praise each other and say, oh, you're such a good person. Look what you've done. The good things are not good enough. In the eyes of God, there is filthy rags. It's like sin. That's the things that we do right. Oh boy. What about the things that we do wrong? It talked about, in that verse, about iniquity. Iniquity are the selfish, sinful things that we do wrong. It stems from selfishness. I want to be a good Christian, but my selfishness pulls me in a different direction. I want eternal life. But boy, it sure looks fun in this world to do all these things. Iniquity. Our iniquities, our sins, pull us away from God. Look at what Paul says in Romans 2, verse 16. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men, The right things we do, our righteousness, we want everybody to see that. 
Hey, look at me. This is what I do right. That's still part of selfishness. But our iniquities, our sins, the things that we do wrong, do you know what we try to do? We try to hide them. We don't want anybody to know that we think those things, we do those things, we hope for those things. We even try to hide them from God. Figure if you can hide them from the pastor, God will never know it. Tell you what, God knows even the very thoughts. Everything is recorded in heaven, including the evil thoughts. You can't hide anything from God. But when I try to hide them, and when I try to to uh, keep them out of the sight of God and and maybe not even reveal them to the church so the church members, if they don't know anything about it, then I am standing in the judgment by my own power and I will fail because I cannot by my own self with the right things that I do right be good enough to enter into the heavenly kingdom and I certainly can't get into the things that I'm trying to hide within my life. I got a problem. I got a problem. And the devil, he's standing there and he's pointing out the very sins that I don't want brought up before the judgment. He's opposing me and he's opposing Jesus for even choosing me. And he's standing there and he's accusing me. My only hope is in the ministry of Jesus in the most holy place. I cannot stand in the most holy place on my own merits. Or I will not receive eternal life. Look what it says in Revelation 12 verse 10. For the accuser of our brethren, that's Satan who accused them before our God day and night. It's talking about what's taking place. Continually, Satan's saying, look, this is how rotten that person is. He's no good. He's a sinner. He isn't any better than I am. I got cast out of heaven. You need to cast him out. And you know what? He's right. He's right. I don't deserve heaven. And so he's right there. And you know what Jesus does as my high priest? He doesn't defend me and say, oh, well, you know, we're going to let it slide this time. I know, but, you know, we're not going to bring that part up or anything else. He doesn't say anything. Except, he rebukes the devil himself. We're going to see that in a minute. Look what it says in Christ Object Lessons, page 167. He, Satan, is hoping they will appear of such a character in the eyes of Christ that he will render them no help in their great need. Joshua, Jesus, stands under condemnation, clothed with filthy garments. Our filthiness. 
There's no hiding it. It's there. But remember, I am in Jesus. I am clinging to Jesus. Look what it says in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem, that's God's people, rebukes you. Jesus has the power to to rebuke the devil, even though his accusations are right. Based on our merits? No. Based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Christ Object Lessons, page 169. When Satan seeks to cover the people of God with blackness and ruin them, Christ interposes. Although they have sinned, Christ has taken the guilt of their sins upon his own soul. He has snatched the race as a brand from the fire. Come on, Terrell. By his human nature, he is linked with man, while through his divine nature, he is one with the infinite God. Help is brought within the reach of perishing souls. The adversary is rebuked. It is because of Jesus that I am given the gift of eternal life. Not because of me. Jesus is the link between sinful mankind and God and eternal life of heaven. He became human. He connects with us. But He's also divine and He connects with His Father. My only way to jump the chasm of destruction is to go through Jesus. To be in Him. But i got a problem. Jesus is still wearing the dirty garments. And I'm in Him. And it's my righteousness and my sins. Even though He rebuked the devil, He still has the filthy garments. Zechariah 3, verse 4. Then He, the angel of the Lord, answered and spoke to those who stood before Him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from Him. I've got to ask you a question. Who is the angel of the Lord? Who only can forgive sins? Because this angel of the Lord, when they're taking away the sins, is forgiving them. Who only can forgive sins? Do you remember the story of the men who brought this man who was paralyzed, brought him to Jesus where Jesus was speaking and he was inside this house and the crowd was so great that they couldn't get him in through the door. So they went up on top of the roof of the house. They tore apart the tiles and they took ropes and they lowered him down in front of Jesus. Do you remember that story? Look what it says about that story in Mark 2, verse 5. Jesus looked at the man and said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, the religious leaders were there. They were inside that house. And do you remember what they said? This man speaks blasphemy. Blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God only? And Jesus' answer to them is, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, has power on earth to forgive sins. Who can forgive sins? 
Jesus. The angel of the Lord is standing there as the judge and says, the sins have been forgiven. Take away those garments. Who is the judge? Ah. Zechariah 3, verse 4. Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with the rich robes. The angel of the Lord is Jesus. He is our judge. He is our high priest. He has power over Satan. Councils for the church, page 350. The angel of the Lord describing what's taking place in Zechariah 3, who is Christ himself, the savior of sinners, puts to silence the accusers of his people. 1 John 2, verse 1. If any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Do you know what? Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our judge. Jesus is our advocate, our attorney. You know what the devil could do if he was here on earthly court system? He could call for a mistrial. Who in the world ever heard of someone standing there guilty with the, his attorney being also the judge at the same time. He could call for a mistrial, but let me tell you something. Jesus is there because of the blood that he shed. Do you remember back in the sanctuary what the people had to do? They had to put their hands upon the head of the sacrificial animal, confess the sins, they sacrificed the animal, and they brought, on the day of judgment, they brought the blood of that sacrificial animal into the most holy place. We are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. If I am in Him, I am saved. No matter how dark my sins are, whatever my past was, however it was like, I am still a sinner, but I am a sinner in Jesus. When Jesus is standing there, He has paid the penalty for sin, which is death. And He gives to us the gift of eternal life if I'm in Christ. It's the same thing that was taught when the people were in Egypt and were going to the promised land. When the death decree came, that last plague, They were spared not by their merits, but by the sacrificial blood of the Lamb that was put on the doorpost. They had life in the blood. We have life in the blood of Jesus. Zechariah 3, verse 4. See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. I mean, Jesus is the dirty clothes. Guess what robe I get? Not from my righteousness. The righteousness of Christ is placed upon me as if I had never sinned. Can you believe that?
I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ upon me. When it comes to the judgment, I am put into the book of life when I accept Jesus, when I remain in Jesus and I'm standing at the judgment and the robes, the filthy robes are taken off and I'm placed in the robes of Jesus. My name stays in the book of life. And you know what happens in the record books of my sins? They're gone. It's gone. I'm saved by the righteousness of Jesus. When I come to a realization how much I am dependent upon the life and the ministry and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I see that he was willing to do that if you was the only sinner, if you was the only person that overate too much in Thanksgiving, he would have died even for that. Because he loves us that much. And you know what he wants from us? He doesn't want a fake life. He doesn't want us to try to hide. He wants us to make a strong commitment. A commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ. But we're going to talk about that next week. So in the meantime, let's take our hymnals and let's sing beneath the cross of Jesus. And as we're singing this, remember that when Jesus went to that cross, he went there for you. Don't think of the other people and say, oh, he died for the other church members who are in here, but he didn't die for me because I'm not good enough. He didn't die because you were good enough. He died because you are a sinner. And don't deserve heaven, but he still loves you. And think of that love of Jesus. Because when I make this commitment, I want to cling to Jesus so tightly that I become absorbed in him. And what he does, he will do through me. Hymn number 303.
I thank you, O Father, for the ministry of Jesus. For without his ministry, I would have no hope and no life. We are all so unworthy. But it's that unworthiness that Jesus died and took upon his shoulders our sins. He was wearing the filthy garments up into heaven. And now we are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I don't understand it. But by faith, I accept it through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.